Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to your booked. I'm Daisy Buchanan, your host, book inspector and common thief. I have something I need to confess. In 2012, I stole a copy of McSorley's Wonderful Saloon by Joseph Mitchell in order to impress a boy. Listeners, I married him. Crime does pay a bit. Firstly, my brand new book, The Sisterhood, A Love Letter to the Women Who Shaped Me, is published by Headline and it's available online and from bookshops across the UK. This week's guest also has a brand new book out and a criminal connection. We're talking to Angela Clark, the prolific crime writer and broadcaster. On My Life is out now in Kindle. It's coming in paperback in July. And it has the unignorably thrilling tagline, framed, imprisoned, pregnant. It's the story of Jenna, whose idyllic life is shattered when she is jailed for a murder she didn't commit. She has to clear her name, save her baby and find the real killer. Angela is a Sunday Times bestseller whose social media murder series earned her an army of loyal superfans, including the crime legend Ian Rankin. Angela is a frequent TV and radio guest and host, talking about her writing, her work, teaching in prisons and her campaigning. She has the chronic condition Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and she does significant work around raising awareness for less visible disabilities. Angela is also a beloved old friend who was kind enough to introduce me to her agent, who is now my agent too. Hello, Diana, right at the beginning of my writing journey. Together we have celebrated, sobbed, nearly poisoned each other with port and almost murdered each other at the Eurostar check-in desk at the Guardian Hall. So we are in Angela's um, sitting room. I've had many happy evenings in the stream, actually. We've had, um, <laughs> it was where I first played Cards Against Humanity. We nearly killed a, 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 a slightly famous um, uh, literary author by uh, Death oh, by Brownie. Drink. Oh, Brownie. Yeah, Death by Brownie. They then almost didn't make it home without being sick. So, here I see a little... Yeah. This is beautiful, actually. It's an amazing tower that looks like the books are freestanding. Um, but they're not... Oh, there's a fabulous sort of collection of Roald Dahl... I suppose they're not all sins. Oh, we've got cruelty, madness, lust, deception. Yeah, they're um, great short stories. Topped by uh, Nancy Mitford and bottomed by Patricia Highsmith and Raymond Chandler. <laughs> so that's, and then 
um, Dylan Thomas cresting it all. Yeah, I have very weird um, sort of categorization. It's a bit random and it's usually based on visuals and it oh. isn't even on kind of aesthetic visuals. It's on what I remember, um, which makes it very odd, I suppose, which also means that nobody else can find a book. So um, is this your kind of your vision of the book that's in your head? That yes, you've... yeah, yeah. So I, I, have, I have a very strong visual on books. So, so if I think of a book, I think of the cover. Usually. So you've got book synesthesia, kind of. Yes, I have. Yeah, that is probably so exactly what I Can you talk us through this? <laughs> I can't, I'm not sure if I can translate it. So um, I like having them together. Um, obviously, I like, you know, I like having my kind of like little collections. I've got my Highsmith together, I've got my Roald Dahl's together, I've got my Nancy Mitford's together. But then there are also other versions of those books elsewhere in the house. So <laughs> it's kind of a random system, which doesn't really make sense, does it? So <laughs> I can't really describe it, but if we were upstairs, I could tell you, and you said, oh, do you have any Patricia mm. Highsmith? I'd be like, oh yeah, it's downstairs. And I know precisely where yeah. it is and, and stuff like that because of it makes sense in my head. It, it makes me very strange. Do you think, because I think you're, you've got a very strong visual memory and a kind of a visual sensibility. Do you think that helps you as a writer? Can you see as you write? Yeah, I can actually. That's true. I'm not sure whether it helps or not. People usually say that my work is, um, they always say, cinematic. Um, and I always find that really interesting because obviously I can see everything unfolding in my head when I'm writing. I can see my characters really clearly. I can see their, their world. I can see everything. But then I kind of assume don't all writers do that? Isn't that kind of just what writers do? And maybe it's in the detail, Maybe I think. And how kind of spatially, you know, it's either the difference, I think, between a, a sketch with a pencil and a really... Somebody has, um, somebody has said, another author has said about um, my next book, which is a gritty, uh, gritty thriller set in, a, in female prison, that they knew it was me because on page three it, it doesn't mention a Mac, it mentions a Burberry Mac. And they were like, you can take the writer out of fashion, but you can't take the fashion <laughs> And I was really annoyed because I was like, damn it, I wish I hadn't had that in there. I feel like it's not right. That's something (laughs) I've heard writers talk about on, um, I really enjoyed recently just to, you know, go listen to it. Please listen listen to this and then listen to this other great podcast. Um, (laughs) Izzy Sutty talking about Nina Stibby on Rule of Three and saying the genius of her comedy is in her very specific detail. And I absolutely agree. But also I think, but don't all good writers do that? Like if there is a way of, making an object very specific yeah. with a different word then why wouldn't you use that instead of you know saying a dog or yeah I just read um uh, uh twisted by Steve Kavanagh today and he had a brilliant description of a guy where he said he looked like a snooker table with a beach ball on it that had been dressed and stood upright and I was like oh that's a, that's blinding I, I will have paraphrased that so so sorry to Steve I, for not I've getting it I've been to the gym with that guy I, absolutely I have seen I've, I know that guy as soon as he, as soon as he said it I was like oh my god totally so um, I think that's probably a good time to talk about the fact that you are a listener to books as much as you are a reader I and I know that you read uh, you are an enthusiastic and diligent reader yeah, that's, that, that's definitely fair. So I do listen to a lot and I started um, listening to books on Audible. I have a disability in case people don't know. And um, sometimes, it sounds really stupid, but tilting my head and holding a book can be very difficult. And 
I was recommended that I stopped reading as a as a result of that, and I was like, uh, "No, <laughs> that's not going uh, to happen." Um, and then somebody suggested spoken word, mm. and I used to get the CDs out of the library because if you buy them, they're like thirty five quid, expensive, really expensive. And um, so this, and I had to buy a CD player because I don't have a CD player, <laughs> so I had to borrow a CD player from my mum and dad in order to listen to them. So, so you have EDS, yeah, that's right, um, which I'm sure you know people familiar with your work, and you know you've written so brilliantly about it and spoken so brilliantly about it but could you just describe sort of how it it impacts you sure so um it is a degenerative connective tissue disorder which means that um i have uh, chronic pain and chronic fatigue and i injure really easily so it often affects my mobility my ability to work and things like that uh it's not going to kill me which is good um always, always a plus point <laughs> <laughs> I'm really pleased as well that it's not going to kill me I mean it might kill me if I like you know dislocate something and then like fall in front of a bus um but like only in a in, in, in a really in a really like stupid way <laughs> exactly not in like a uh you know the, the condition itself um but it's uh, yeah so I have that and it means that I have to make adjustments to uh to my lifestyle my life and what I do and as I get older and bits wear out those adjustments get a bit more um necessary and giving up reading books is just not possible I had a really bad um flare-up attack of my condition back in I think it was 2013 just after my first book came out and I dislocated my neck and I wasn't really able to walk for about three months and I spent pretty much most of the year lying down and it took me a year to get back to work and everything and during that time I was not allowed to watch television or read or look at my phone or anything that involved tilting my head at all or holding things up I wasn't physically capable of doing it so that's when I got heavily into listening to books Um, and I did the CDs dad came over with a very dodgy old (laughs) CD player and CDs from the library and then I started buying CDs and there's like really chunky cylindrical batteries it it was it was like that it was totally like that all batteries and and it was everything that you can get in like um the uh, the the library is quite um it is what you would expect it to be mm. um, because the market is largely for spoken words stuff it's for old older people mm. with sight difficulties or whatever so it was a lot of Jane Austen a lot of um uh, I ordered in all the Hemingways and redid all the Hemingways which is both of which I'd read already but it was nice to listen to them and then somebody introduced me to Audible and it blew my mind because I was like wait what hang on I can get books all the books straight to my phone now and uh, and also I can speed them up because that's the thing with um, spoken word. Everybody enunciates so clearly. And this is why when you listen to books like that, it sends you to sleep. I suppose they're all actors, aren't uh, they? Yes, and they want doing, to do it in an actorly fashion. all of that, you know, kind of thing. Which is great and fabulous. But that's not, you know, my brain works quicker than that. And I need to absorb stuff quicker than so, that. Uh, in the CD times, was there anything that you... A given way you thought, oh, I'm not, I wouldn't have found this normally, but okay, and ended up really enjoying. That's a really good question. I did a lot of, um, there's a lot of kind of comedian memoirs. Ah. Um, so a lot of kind of like old school comedian memoirs. And I did really enjoy those. They were really good. But then the writer brain in me always thinks, well, did they write these or did they have somebody else write them for them? I mean, probably if they were comedians, they probably wrote mm. them themselves, I guess. There's a lot of intimacy there, isn't it? It's sort yeah. of having someone 
tell you their life story. Yeah, and and they are really lovely, and I still do listen to a lot of memoirs, and um, and they are always better if they're read by the person who's written them, um, and that is really fun. And actually, those kind of things I tend to listen to at night. That tends to be my kind of chill out. I'm getting ready for bed, kind of. Um, stuff i love a good biography as well just before just before bed there's a there's a few on here or um oh, as the alan partridge is nomad oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's a elizabeth jane howard's um uh, not the one that she wrote but that's written about her oh god where's it gone um ah, i now can't see it <laughs> it's um it's see here's me going like oh yeah i know what all the books are and uh, clearly i don't so um it must i must have moved it back upstairs you're a very successful crime writer and there's masses and masses of fabulous scary crime here lots of psychological <laughs> thrillers i see a mutual friend claire mcgowan yes. her excellent books you've got the dead ground a savage hunger hunger and the silent dead i think i remember are we at port elliot and she couldn't that she was fighting about the title of a savage hunger yes it's like should it be a rampant hunger yes. should it be a greedy yeah. hunger yeah. i think we had one of those conversations where you end up just basically shouting adjectives <laughs> at each other and going what about this what about that yeah and i've got um i've got um erin kelly and um and uh, and sharon bolton here and and um william shaw a lot of um kind of crime writers active crime writers now contemporary ones who i really really admire like really fantastic writing really kind of i think it's very interesting that you read crime so assiduously i think that's the word i'm after and in such a dedicated way and and you're writing it because i know lots of writers sort of avoid their genre or their area when they're writing because they don't want to kind of borrow anyone's voices do you which writers have you discovered that you've been the most inspired by well, I'm inspired by all the old classics and I'm inspired by my contemporaries, but I don't tend to read um, a contemporary crime when I'm actively writing my first draft. So I will read Golden Age crime, like I love Dorothy L. Sayers, and Georgette Hayer's crime books are um, fabulous. Her Honeyside and um, Hemingway um, detective stories are great. I've never actually read any of her sort of Regency love ones I've not I've not done those yeah but her um her they're called romantic suspense which is great because that's a that's a a genre that doesn't really exist in this country anymore we don't publish romantic suspense because most crime nowadays in the UK books are are quite gritty and Mm. realistic and you can't really have gritty realistic and then a lovely 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 romantic uh, uh, (laughs) like relationship going on in the background would would you write it if you thought there was a thriving audience there's probably an audience well, I know there's an audience um, for it in other countries because apparently the um, it exists as a genre, strong genre in Australia. And I think that America thinks that all British writers write like that still. Uh. They think that all crime writers, which is why it's often difficult for British crime writers, contemporary ones, to get published in the States because they think we're Christie. They mm. think we're Agatha Christie. And if we don't, you know, that we all live in big houses and write jolly fun murders um, mm. where there's no blood, no guts, no swearing and, um, and, and a big snog at the end you know <laughs> and when you when, when when you don't give them that they're like but this is this what is this you know kind of thing what what is this thing about gangs and war and 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 and, and, uh, and rape and drugs what is this nonsense I you know cancel my upcoming trip to edinburgh i am not doing this <laughs> exactly exactly so i've um yeah so i've got um a massive soft spot for all of the kind of the golden age ones i tend to prefer the female golden age writers like i've got a fair few raymond chandlers and i've read a fair few of them, and I'm going to say something that is 
<laughs> hugely controversial. Oh, I like it. <laughs> I don't really like Raymond Chandler. So, like, obviously I recognise that he had an incredible talent and the way that he writes is brilliant. And I'm not the kind of writer that can mimic other writers, so I can't do that kind of... She was a dame with a... Du- whatever, you know, I can't, I can't even, you know... Weird fact about Angela listeners. Angela does not hear accents. No, I don't. No. There is a story of yours I think about all the time. Do you want to tell it about your neighbours moving back to Ireland? Oh, yeah, okay. So I had um, some neighbours that we would go for drinks for um, once a week. Um, we were really friendly for like a couple of years. And then they were moving and had a leaving party. And we went to the pub and uh, they were moving to Ireland. And I was like, so guys, why Ireland? And uh, and uh, everybody kind of went silent and they gave me this really weird look. And Mr. Ange kind of leant over and went, honey, they're Irish. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I had no idea. So um, I, I don't hear accents. Um, I, I can never tell if anybody's posh. I've also got a friend who um, I, is a really good friend. I've been friends for like five years before she met Mr. Ange. And he was like, you never told me X was posh. And I was like, is she? And he's like, so posh, you know, kind of. A, so I've got, I've got nothing. So coming in, there's a lot of top hat and a monocle there, adjusting them. Yes. <laughs> No. So, where, where are you from? Where are you from? You know, kind of your background. So, so I, I think it's it. interesting with all of that that you don't mimic as a writer yeah, either. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I definitely, I mean, I definitely unintentionally absorb stuff. So when I go through my edits, so because I won't read contemporary crime when I'm writing, mm. um, I will go through my edits and I'll suddenly be like, why does this sound like Bertie Wooster in the middle of <laughs> in the middle of my uh, in the middle of my draft, which is really inappropriate for a gritty, realistic, uh, uh, contemporary piece? And I'm like, oh, that's when I was rereading PG Woodhouse. Some of your fans are into <laughs> it, maybe not the maybe, commercial yeah, community. Maybe, maybe, but, maybe. Um, so, why is it? Do you think that you don't like Raymond Chandler? Is because it the women? Because the, the because I thought the, you were going to yeah, say that. Because all the women are basically they're just the angel or whore, and as soon as the whore character rocks up, who's usually blonde you know that she's the killer so not only is it like you know terrible stereotyping cliches it's also really bloody obvious and I find that really infuriating like a good Christie um a good good Agatha Christie and there is obviously variation in in them she wrote a lot of books perfectly reasonable to have variation but but a good Agatha Christie will still get you will still Mm. and you won't see you won't know who it is you know and uh, I think especially when you're a crime writer you learn to read the the mechanisms so it's quite normal for me to work out who, who it is who's done it so I love it when when people pull the wool over my eyes that's actually one of the oh, reasons why interesting Erin Kelly's um one of my favorites because I have never once been able to guess who it was with Erin's she's absolutely brilliant at so that so you'd rather not have the satisfaction of feeling like you don't pick the clues you want a bloody hell at yeah, the end yeah I want I want I want I want the I want the twist I want that satisfaction can we write together a suspenseful romance in yes. the style of Raymond Chandler? <laughs> that's, with, with, with no... that's called How Do You Do a Done a Sexy Murder? Yes, absolutely. Let's do that. We should totally do that. Hopefully Raymond won't mind. Um, I'm going to be haunted by Chandler's ghost. That would be great, mm. wouldn't it? Actually, if you wanted to be haunted by a ghost, being haunted by Chandler's ghost would actually be really quite awesome. Who um, would be top three? Write a ghost, would you? Write it by... Surely, Agatha Christie. Oh, yeah, I, I'd want to have Christie. I think I'd probably want to have 
maybe Virginia Woolf, but then I feel like that's a, a an obvious one to go for. I just think, or Sylvia Plath, somewhere, some, Are somebody... Are you worried they'll be busy with the hauntings because they're so popular? <laughs> because there's, I think, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll be booked up. Their dance card is full. Um, <laughs> but I She's think... a jolly ghost, uh, aren't she, a third one, please? Because I feel like Virginia Woolf and Sylvia Plath uh, would be... Oh, okay. Um... Uh, um... Can That's I have a lot. can I have Dorothy Alsayers then? It's because yes. it's, it's the people that I want to have that I want to ask questions of. Well, of course, I don't know how the ghost relationship is going to work. They might not want to answer questions, you know, kind of thing. like one of the reasons I'd like Virginia and, and Sylvia is because I feel so much has been written about mm. them and projected onto them that isn't necessarily anything to do with them. But they may not care about that. They might just want to knock things over and um, and make weird noises at night and wake me up. So I want to see whether they'd get on or whether they'd be a bit of like, oh, it's you. Hi. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Oh, it's just all the gossip, basically. Please write this. Yeah, it'd be great, wouldn't it? Which is the, the hauntings of. My favourite sort of slash fic. Yeah, the hauntings of. But yeah, Dor- Dorothy will be awesome, Dorothy. I'll say she's a, Have you ever read any of her stuff? Um, I read a little bit as a teenager, and I don't really remember. I think my mum was like, you'll love this. And I yeah. was like, oh, will I, mum? Oh, and oh. in a See, teenage oh, way, but I should go back. I, it, so it's the, it's the Lord Peter Whimsey uh, mysteries. And Lord Peter Whimsey, I think, is basically... I, I think she did something very clever. I think she took Jeeves and Worcester and made, said it to murder. Oh. It made it a murder mystery, you know, kind of thing. That's effectively what, what she did because you've got an aristocratic main character with a very supportive butler. Um, and uh, <laughs> and the, the aristocratic um, uh, Lord Peter Whimsey is actually smart. He's not um, he's not Bertie Worcester. But it, it just strikes me as that's what it is. And she, you know, she was a working jobbing writer. She needed to do it for, for money. And I've just always thought she was like, right, what, what you know, in the same way, if you, if you were a allowed to do you know the wizarding world with uh, with a murder mystery you'd make a fortune mm. um uh, you know obviously you can't because of copyright but um, uh, but uh, but yeah that in in that same kind of way but you i think can't they really copyright witches and wizards can you no but like i mean if you could take like hogwarts which i guess is why fan fiction is so popular mm. right because it's recreating worlds and putting new stories in them it's, um, true. it's really thrilling actually isn't it people saying I love these characters so much and I want this to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Because you, you want them to have lives, which mm. they do, and, and you want to know what those continuous kind of lives are. But then I think that the books really take off when um, she introduces Harriet Vane um, oh. in Strong Poison, who um, is basically her. So she's yeah. a mystery writer. I always like the female mystery writer characters best. So, um, oh, who is it in Poirot? I've forgotten her name. The so other one. All I can think of is Zoe Wanamaker on the television. Um, I'm thinking of um, Jessica Fletcher, which is totally JB. wrong. Nothing to do no, with no. Poirot. Who is also basically Marple. J.B. Fletcher is mm. basically Marple. So, and she actually played Marple before um, anything else. Marple's are my favourite. I reread them all recently um, in order. I had an operation and um, first of all, I reread Mallory Towers um, because I was like, I need comfort. Um, and I knew that I was feeling better when I started going, actually, I think it's quite cruel the way that they treat Gwendolyn. And, <laughs> uh, when, I, when, when I think about it from, a, from a, you know, to begin with, I'm like, oh, this is so great. And I still feel so wonderful to be back amongst friends. And then I'm like, actually, with my adult, you know, like contemporary eye, I feel that the 2019 eye, I thought this is not correct. Because <laughs> everybody, you know, there's a sort of secret... Not secret, but a group of women who are like, 
Amy is the best in Little Women. Come yeah, on, it's yeah. what we've got to ship for Amy. And I think there's also there's you know emerging because I'm like I absolutely if I'd been at Mallory Towers, I would have been Gwendolyn. Gwendolyn with shades of Mary Lou. Yeah. Oh, see, I like Mary Lou as well. And who's the one girl who comes the one uh, um, the one um, term who is basically nouveau riche, and so mm. so she ends up nicking something and running off with one of the other girls, which is nowhere near as bad as what loads of the others do, who are instantly mm. forgiven. But she's cast out because she's nouveau is riche. That Ellen. Yeah, I think it is actually. Because I know, because also, because Gwendolyn's desperate to make friends and yeah. she makes friends with the wrong one. And there's, is it Clarissa who's a bit dowdy and sort of seems to be in shabby clothes and then she's secretly a duchess yes, or something absolutely. or a lady? Absolutely. That was it. And someone she gets led to the Honourable Clarissa. That's right. She's got a name like, it's not Clarissa Darling because that's Clarissa Explains at all. <laughs> Um, it is Clarissa something like that. Clarissa very posh. And um <laughs> but yeah, and, and I just felt sorry for Gwendolyn when I reread them as an adult. Like like as a child, I, I I was like, Oh god, Gwendolyn's so terrible. As a child, we were all like thinking about the music room. I was like, Daryl was right to hit Sally. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And we all want to be Daryl, you know, kind of thing. But um but yeah, I felt really sorry for Gwendolyn rereading it. Um but then like I was like, Okay, I'm not ready to come back to like the real world yet so I started rereading the marples in order I love Poirot um and I've read most of them I think I think I've read all of them and then I reread them again various ones periodically but I I as I get older I love marple more much more Uh, marples or Poirot's either marples Um, I think marples are there's oh god I'm going to go with 12 to 14. Let's oh. say somewhere around about that. It's a manageable number. Because I, I thought it was going to be like 70. No, there's, there's, I think there's like 33, 36 Poirots plus the short stories. And now plus you've got Sophie Hannah's ones as well that she's doing. If you could choose a golden age crime author or any, any author who's long dead and isn't going to be very upset, all copyright issues aside, who would you pick up whose stories would you be telling i've wanted you marple i wanted you miss marple she's just such a great character and in those books christy just like the 450 from paddington has such brilliant female characters so they've got miss marple herself and like the running joke through all of them is that everybody always like dismisses miss marple because she's an old lady Mm. and i just think that it's it's almost like that's seems more like mm, like prescient now yes. than, than than it perhaps it did you know then kind of thing and then you've also got um uh, her friend Elspeth McKillicuddy who sees uh, the murder committed on the train and knows that she will be dismissed mm. because she's a, a, an older lady even though she's quite forthright and um uh, and quite direct but knows that she won't be listened to by the police and then they introduce Lucy Arlsworth who is um has a maths first from Cambridge um but decides because it's after the war um uh, makes a financial decision that it would be better to work as house staff like but be brilliant at it because it's become so difficult to get staff to run houses that she basically comes in and like solves everybody's lives you know and enjoys doing it and does it really well but is is clearly really intelligent so you know in a in a super kind of problem solving way so you've got these kind of three amazing female kind of characters in it and i just think it's really it just seems more and more relevant to today that we don't have have like older female like dowdy ladies being really awesome characters you know kind of thing and I love that um um, I don't know Uh, when I read them all as well because she the marples they span from 1930s to 1970s uh, when she published them all, all through that period of time, so oh, so some set in the seventies. Uh, yeah, 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 I yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The last ones, um, uh, well, the the last one she wrote 
um, during the war. The last one that was published mm. is um, Sleeping Murder, and um, and she wrote that one in the war. It, I mean, it works perfectly, but it's odd in the sense that it doesn't have anything that ties it socially to the time and she's so good at that so like there's this wonderful bit when you watch them all unfold because the world is changing around yeah. Miss Marple I mean she must have been like 150 by the end it doesn't make any sense in that in that regard but like it, it changes and there's a wonderful bit where like in St Mary Mead there's a new housing development and they get a supermarket and it's just great. And she's like, she's like, and you have to go around and pick the food off your shelves yourself and things like that. But she walks around this new housing uh, housing estate where they've built all these new houses and she listens at the window of people having conversations. Even though the houses look different and the people look different and things like that, people are still at heart the same. Mm. And they've still got the same kind of like compulsions and the same kind of moments of, of humanity. And I think that's really clever. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. We'll be back to Angela soon, but now it's time for my steal of the week. A book so good it's worth 10 times its cover price. Please do not actually steal it. This week, it's Nikita Gill's Fierce Fairy Tales and Other Stories to Stir Your Soul, published by Trapeze, a stunning collection of vivid, moving stories and poems that will make you laugh, gasp, and maybe even cry. If you're a fan of Angela Carter, you'll adore this. That's Fierce Fairy Tales by Nikita Gill, out now. Now, back to Angela. Where did you... um, Where did you get these? They're beautiful. All my tiny, tiny ones. Oh, they're John Donne, actually. These ones, oh, wow. they're, um, they're, they're old um, uh, copies of, um, of John Donne, collected John Donne poetry, which I, he's probably my favourite author 
I should, my favourite poet, rather. I don't know. How old do you think they are? Well, they've got a, a signature in the front um, and a date of 1934. I bought them in hay, actually. Yeah, I just love them. I just love them so much. They're so lovely. And they live down here because they live tucked in so they don't I get love sunlight. I beautiful illustrations on the end papers. They're proper... Um, they are lovely, aren't they? They are lovely. They are properly loved, though. Was that like, when you were there for the festival? Um, I was... Um, no, it was before that. It was before I was published. I've had these for years and years and years. And I've always loved done and um and actually he's a quote was worked into my it might not make it to the final um the final edit but the current book I'm writing it's funny that a, a quote from him him has ended up in it you know can you say thing. which line or do you uh, want yeah, to keep it, it? it's um it, well, it's, it's um my America my newfound land and come lady come because it's quite a, a a rude bit <laughs> so um uh and, and I, I just I, I discovered John Donne when I was a teenager um, I think you'll find it's come baby come <laughs> I know, and it's it's they're so just so rude. They're just like gloriously, gloriously rude, and I love that. (laughs) Did he come up at school, or did you just encounter him? Um, I uh, did you come to him? Did I come to him? Uh, No, he came up at school. No, I read him first at school. Um, We we had to read the flea, and then I read all of them after that and that's how I came to Hemingway as well because he uh, John Donne wrote For Whom the Bell Tolls and then obviously that was the title that Hemingway used later so that's how I found Hemingway I love that and they're connected on the shelf because um, I can see oh my god they are we have Donne under and then Hemingway and, and then and then and then 1984 George Orwell on top um, I, by the way, I think I've got three different versions of 1984, all in different colour coded around the, around the house. Weird, dystopia. Have you, I, I read a lot. Do you read of... it three times more than the other books. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, I, I have a big phobia of rats. That um, what 1984 started, um, American Psycho finished, um, and I've never liked rats since then. Didn't have a problem before. This is actually this is this. You could basically call this my teenage shelf. I, I did like really stereotypical male teenage angst. I think was like quite to my to my shame. I didn't read many female authors until I went to university. But I think there's something as well about all of these books are quite big books or books that are, when you're. I think there's something that a lot of um, women do at a point when in their teens when they're you know intelligent and ambitious and they know there's something mentally that requires stimulation they've really got to kind of push through for and you know for a lot of us especially I think me and you broadly grew up with where the internet was sort of just getting going and Mm. you couldn't really consume culture as quickly as you could now in terms of things being recommended it was very much like you go to the books in the canon and that's what these are and these are very I think all all truly brilliant writers, but also writers that you'd sort of pick if you were a, going to do a literature degree. To, a uh, kind of, or a pretentious teenager yeah, with so big true. ideas who it's really so wanted true. to signify something about herself. It's so true, it's so true. Uh, a lot of what I read... I um, say that with love, I think they're all pretentious teenagers. No, no, I, I, absolutely. I, I was thinking about this earlier because I wondered if you were going to... Obviously, I've listened to, to the podcast, I love the podcast, and I wondered if you were going to ask that in, me... Keep <laughs> I, I wondered if you were going to ask me, um, like, 
my first sexy book. Yes. Yeah, but I can't answer it because oh. I I don't know what it was. Like, was it, I, was it not John Donne? Well, it probably was, but then I'd already had sex by the time I read John Donne. So, uh, like, I think in a way that I and I don't know if it's because of when the internet, you know, the, like you say, the internet was just starting. So, you know, I had seen porn and that kind of skewed things. I remember reading. I read all the Sweet Valley Highs that they had in my local library. I read every book that they had in my local library. It was only a little library. It was one of those like. Um, uh, porter cabins and I'd read all of that and I remember reading all the Sweet Valley Heights I remember reading all of the Judy Bloom but I have no recollection of reading forever or if I did I have no recollection of like the sexy bits I have no recollection of reading Riders the first time or Lace or any of the ones that are kind of famous for being handed the round other canon. <laughs> yeah the other canon I, like, like I don't know if I just did and I wasn't emotionally mature enough to to get it so I was just like oh, not interested in this where's the plot going or I didn't care the only like sexy book I remember read like actually about sex was like the Osborne's like guide to being an adolescent oh, that strangely beige yes. humans and the various yes. sort of that my mum bought me and told me that uh, you know which was her way of telling me about periods that I should read to page 15 and no further <laughs> obviously then I read everything further immediately and learned all about sex and uh and HIV and because uh, there was a whole section on AIDS and all of this kind of stuff so I remember reading that so just uh, you know I don't know how much um of your your life and times you wish to reveal, but just to anchor that in a time period, I'm wondering, was it, was it frightening? Was it sort of we early 90s, mid 90s? So it would have been early 90s, I guess. So I was, um, I, I, I was born in 1980, so I would have been 11 in 91. Because um, I can just imagine being just terrified to learn yeah. about AIDS from an Osborne book. I don't remember it being frightening. So this is the thing. I just remember it being like, oh, interesting. And then that's it, moving on. I think I was really odd. I think by the time I got like heavily interested, like hormonally in sex, I just started having sex. And so books formed quite a, a really heavily linked to that. Like, so I remember with my first boyfriend, but let's go, let's go with 95. <laughs> um, uh, uh, we would... As part of our courtship, we read out loud to each other, Train Spotting by Irvine Welsh, and we read out loud to each other um, uh, Brett Easton Ellis' um, uh, uh, American Psycho. And it, it's like you said, it's that kind of, we were going for those kind of like raw, visceral teenage, making a real impact. This is the coolest book that you've the got to read. Book. All men, all men. And I never saw that. Were they coming from him or from you? Or did you sort of decide on them? I don't remember. I don't remember. But we, I, I, I honestly don't remember. But we were like, whatever was the kind of the most violent and the most like like forbidden in that sense we wanted to get our hands on and read and so that's what we read and we thought they were brilliant um and from that we got to Orwell and other places being so surprised by train spotting because I think that film came out I would have been I think nine or ten and I remember all the posters and it was such a sort of iconic everywhere you went it was like that black and sort of whitey grey with the yeah. neon it was like oh it's a not bad film about drugs and all yeah. the things that happen and obviously you know how it is when kids go oh yeah I've seen it and like yeah. it's just you know inventing scenes of sort of decapitation and terrible we, we definitely did that with the reading side of it so it was definitely cool for us to have read it but they were it was a, it's a brilliant book well that was it I was it's just yeah. it's so funny yeah. it's so sad it's yeah. so poignant Emotionally. I just thought it was gonna be like 
fucking drugs, man, for 300 yeah. pages. No, and no, it's so that wasn't cool. a Scottish accent. I don't know what accent that was. Well, I wouldn't have been able to tell anyway. So it was good, <laughs> one of the greatest moments I had happened to me recently was I got to meet Irvine Welsh for the first time and we ended up hanging out for a bit, which was fucking amazing. And I couldn't... Were you? I was at Bloody Scotland, the festival in Bloody Scotland, and we ended up going for drinks and having dinner. And it was amazing. And during it, I went to the bathroom and texted my boyfriend went from when I was 15, um, who I haven't spoken to. I could see the last time I spoke to him was nine years ago. And I was like, you will never believe where I am right now. Because I knew that nobody else would understand quite how monumental that was to be 15, like lying in our pants, like reading it out loud to each other. Um, Like, because, because did you tell him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told him, I told everyone as well. And he was like, okay, weird. (laughs) But, um, but like, I I can't, like, because it's kind of like, I've had sex to your book. Thanks. (laughs) I'm sure he's heard a lot worse. (laughs) You've read the book, you've seen the movie. I'm sure he's heard a lot worse. I don't think he means batted an eyelid over that but uh, but it was um it was you know it was such a core part of my kind of my coming of age mm. I suppose so that's my it's not a sexy book because obviously it's not but that's my sexy book like that's what it's linked to that kind of like electricity that the kind of like being you know like discovering this incredible like forbidden thing mm. and uh, and and enjoying it with somebody else and we, the reason why we started reading them out loud to each other is because of the dialect we couldn't read it any other way and we were like we couldn't work out what it was saying until we read it out loud and we're like okay now, now we know what what it is because it's obviously so heavily it's written so good on that so that must be the closest you've come to hearing an accent yeah yeah i mean i can tell obviously when people um like use words that are linked to scotland obviously if somebody says we but then i thought i thought Agus. i thought that steve Kavanagh was was scottish because he says we and he's like no i'm northern irish and i was like okay <laughs> my bad i'm sorry so you could basically mess with me just by using random kind of like dialects or cool words so if I kind of keep saying howdy and y'all yeah yeah I'll just be like oh I didn't know that Daisy south. is from the deep south though you're called Daisy so that's obviously <laughs> you know obviously should have got that so. that's the, the, the petticoats Absolutely. they're another they're, they're big, big indication big clue big clue <laughs> yeah so all of my like male teenage angst kind of uh uh, a kind of like visceral but but they're all great books they're all great books okay, I feel slightly like I wish I could go back and I wonder what had happened if I'd read more seminal female writers at that kind of age. But then, I think you're doing a pretty great job of that now. And also, <laughs> perhaps now you'd be disinclined to read the big guys. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I'm quite um, derogatory about Hemingway. And, you, you know, you always meet the guy in the creative writing class who thinks he's Hemingway. Like, it's such a, it's such a cliche. But the reality is, I, I do love Hemingway and I Everyone love his clip got Tesco brand whiskey in their pocket. <laughs> <laughs> writer's tears so, <laughs> but yeah they, they they always think they're Hemingway they're not because they always use too many words and their sentences aren't short and sharp enough but um uh that's uh you know that's I, st- I still love Hemingway I still he's still probably one of my all-time faves do you love him for his prose alone or do you think there is a bit of you that loves that the cult of the writer Oh, I do, I do love the cult of the writer, but of course he was a complete twat. Yeah. Um, and I, ha- I did like I loved um, Mrs. Hemingway by Na- uh, Naomi. No, not Naomi Wolf. Wrong Wolf. Maybe it is Naomi Wolf. Did you- <laughs> <laughs> that sounds 
familiar. This is why I'm very visual because I'm terrible at names, titles, all of those things, which makes me sound like I'm a really sure stupid if you writer. Were to Google um, Mrs. Hemingway and Wolf. Yeah, you would, you would find it. We'll yeah. put a link in the show notes. Yeah, they, 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 Mrs. Hemingway is an amazing book, told from um, the four different perspectives of Hemingway's four wives, and it is fascinating and brilliant and because i read that i read like um oh, martha oh, martha martha Gellhorn. thank you i read her um book beautiful exile which is lovely and i don't think it's published anymore in this country i had to get it shipped in like her life is amazing and i love like the elizabeth jane howard one i want to say a beautiful that's called a beautiful something or an ordinary something i don't know i'll find it in a minute <laughs> um, you don't have to answer this but i'm curious because i know that if you if you want something book related you will track it down yeah What's the most money you've ever spent on one book? Oh, oh, good question. Oh, I don't know. I have to think about that. I've definitely, I've definitely spent over a hundred pounds, like more than once on a on on a book, more which, than once. You know which ones? Uh, I spent a hundred pounds on um, more than hundred pounds on the Manolo Blahnik book, which is signed. <laughs> that's my past coming out um uh, because i really wanted it um (laughs) massive fan of his work um and uh and it's signed by him and the photographer which is really cool it's at the bottom of the big pile you probably can slide it out but um there might be like a toppling situation going on i'd be very nervous about knowing i mean i imagine that's probably a book that's worth a lot now i don't think you would want to that's true do anything with it but there is a book that i've had my eye on um that i haven't bought but you can't get in this country which is a an accompaniment to Dorothy L. Sayers, which has all of the quotes that she uses because she's so literary. There's so much Latin and stuff like, like that in it. Dorothy L. Sayers specific dictionary of quotations. Yes, for everything that she used, but it's only ever been produced in, Amer- in America. And I looked that up several times, and the last time I looked, it was 256. And I haven't bought it, but I ha- like I do periodically go back and so see. It's, it's 256 dollars. No pounds, because it was um it was over here, and I I think that somebody had shipped. Okay. I don't even know if it's public published anymore in the mm. states i think it's out of publication completely but they never published it over here and um i would love that um i did spend quite a american lot... listeners yeah you know what to do yeah yeah if you see one of those please send me one um <laughs> i will She'll PayPal you. i will i will paypal you yeah absolutely i am um, uh, i did spend quite a lot of money on a book about poisons that is no longer <laughs> It's no longer um, in publication, <laughs> which obviously I largely it was a mistake to drink that herbal tea, <laughs> peppermint and licorice. It was a lie. So, <laughs> um, but I don't. Um, it, it's stupid because like you can't really. I mean, you can use poisons. I think that Mark Billingham is going to use poison in one of his next ones, but um, uh, from something that he said. But it, it's such a Christie thing mm. that like you couldn't really get away with using loads of poisons but it is really fascinating to to read all about all the different types and stuff like that and it is then fun when you go back through like the marples and mm. you're just like oh yeah strychnine i know that also poison seems to be like a hell of a lot more it, it, like it's much harder to get hold of now mm. except it probably isn't because you just buy it on the internet on the dark net i don't know I, well maybe on, on the on the dark web yeah I mean, um i was gonna say I wouldn't know how to get onto the dark web, which sounds like I'm protesting too much. But um, <laughs> yeah, well, I tried to buy um, castor oil from a chemist the other day to make my eyelashes grow, and they said we can't sell that to you because we're worried that you'll make a bomb out of it. Wow! Did you try to buy a lot of it, or they just didn't like the look of you? Um, I think all of the above, and I was buying matches and petrol. No, they just—I think there's—you um, just can't sell it domestically anymore. Wow! For, really, I had uh, no idea. 
Wow, okay, that's really fascinating. That is really fascinating. I thought that your, your past and present lives collide a little, some sort of beauty matter. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a thing. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that... The... Oh, well, Villanelle. Yeah, exactly. I'm pretty sure that... Um, I haven't read the books. I have to be honest, I haven't read the Villanelle books. books. But, you know, watch the telly. Obviously, the telly was very good. The thing is in the books, I just... I know I'm not the first person to say this. I'm the 800 millionth person to say this, but... Oh my god, the frogs! Yeah, gorgeous, really gorgeous, and it really unless heightens the, it. Unless the books are pop up, <laughs> unless a real um, detailed description of her clothes. I don't think there is actually. I've never heard anybody mention the clothes in the books. Having said that, it's not the kind of thing that everybody would notice, I suppose. Couldn't not notice that pink dress. Shall we oh, go upstairs? Yeah. Mm. Uh, my um, my pals and I, um, uh, my fellow crime writers, we're definitely all flagged for our search history. Definitely, definitely all on some watch list. Listen, let me turn the radio on. Oh, we're in. Um, we're in the study of um, Sunday Times best-selling crime writer Andrew Clark, and I've got to tell you, it smells amazing in here. Is that diptyque? What is that? It is. Um, no, it's just. Um, it's just um, Neil's Yard um, oils. I can't do caffeine. I don't do um, tea or coffee. So I trick my brain that I'm awake by putting certain oils. Not that one, because that's lavender. That's lavender. That's, that's, that will send me to sleep. <laughs> they're over here. And they're so little, they, little, they're they diffuse out of that wooden... Yeah, they diffuse out the wooden thing. And um, it's how I keep myself awake. So I have loads of focus and energy ones. Oh, See, I've reduced my collection. I got rid of about 300 books um, recently because I married Condoed before it was on Netflix, I hasten to add. There's still lots here. Um, I see a friend of the podcast and friend of ours, Lauren Bravo. What oh, would the yes. Spice Girls do? Yes, these are my um, these are so I have like a vague system going on. So these are ones that are, are sent to me. I get about ten a week, um, and then I try to uh, read them in order that they kind of come out. If I when I've read them, they then go on this shelf here before being redistributed uh, around the system, kind of uh, yeah, kind of way. <laughs> it's more crime, isn't it? It's more crime. It's a lot I of crime. Love- You've got an enormous, beautiful-looking edition of Agatha Christie's Complete Secret Notebook. You bought that for me. You you genuinely bought that for me oh, a, few Christmases, a few Christmases ago, and I love it. Oh, it's great. It's great. I, no, no, it go, it goes. That, I was like, I do remember because I remember <laughs> being quite worried that you might have it. It goes really well um, with her oh. um, with her autobiography, which I've just reread again, which is possibly the best book she's ever she ever wrote. And I, it's her own. I, I know. It's, wow. it's it's really fascinating. She very carefully like dodges the dodgy two weeks where she vanished, and and she does refer to it a little bit and says that she had a basically a mental health episode, um, and that's what ha- and and she should have seen warning signs beforehand. So she talks about the warning signs beforehand and then afterwards, but never divulges what she was actually doing when she vanished for those two weeks. Though personally, I like to think she was basically trying to frame her. Her, um, the, the woman who'd stolen her husband for killing her. I think that's what she was trying to do. Um, and I don't know whether or not she was doing that in a, uh, in, in a she was okay way or she was doing that in she was not very well way. But either way, it's awesome as a, as a, oh, as a I really, plot really point. I really, hope that was the but, case. I mean, how do you think she writes about mental health in her 
autobiography do you think because it sounds like she's got a kind of fairly modern or, or contemporary perspective on it yeah, or yes and no um because i mean she she starts out a lot she's very um dismissive of um what my gran would have called namby pamby attitudes towards children and uh, and and she's very much like i was just allowed to play outside and i'm fine you know kind of thing and everybody should, and no no children need nothing else and no no kind of you know molly coddling or anything like that so she's she's quite like of her time in 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 that regard and obviously she is of she was of a so, certain social class uh, and that kind of comes through but actually on 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 certain things like mental health i mean i think because she was clearly interested in human psychology and psychiatry and definitely was abreast of kind of developments of um of that and what what was happening that she's actually fairly good on 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 that so she talks about the pressure that led up to the the breakdown between her marriage and and, and how her mother died at the same time and she was on her own trying to clear out the um the ha- the house her the family home um separated from her husband like physically but not actually she didn't know that their relationship was over and he was off with what was going to become his new wife and uh, and all this kind of stuff and she was like you know i i there was moments where i don't i remember sort of coming to in places and thinking, how am I here, and what's happened, and that was a warning sign. So I a push kind of too hard. Depersonalization. Yeah, and and I think she talks about it in terms of kind of it becoming too much for her mind, so her mind shutting down, and which I think is very, it's very, probably very true, isn't it? I, I think she was very true du- judge of character and a very true true judge of kind of human emotion, which I guess is why the stories work so well. But I think therefore she has a very astute view of her own mental health and what was going on in that situation i suppose that's it that she's so used to having to know a character's motivation she can look back at that time and think Mm. well that's why that's fascinating and i suppose because she's such a these books are so powerful and so widely read to think of her as someone who you know has lived these this life and had this these vulnerabilities there's definitely PR spin in it as well. I mean, mm. she's obviously, she's telling her story and she obviously took the conscious decision to do it before she before she died and before somebody else could do it, you know, kind of thing. And I think she's definitely like, right, I'm going to write down what happened, you know, my relationship with my children, my relationship with my husband um, uh, and get it down fixed in, 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 in time in that sense. And um, yeah, I, it's, it's a great read. It's really good. So you said you, you come read. Um, mm-hmm. What is it about these books that have made the cut? Well, I tend to keep ones um, that either I love and that I reread, ones that are kind of research. So I've got like a lot of research ones over there. Um, I have all of my poison books and uh, and various um, kind of stuff on forensics oh, yeah, and stuff like that. Big massive murders, yeah, but not for real purposes. <laughs> honest. Absolutely, absolutely. By John Murder. <laughs> By I done it. Uh, I see you've got Adventures in the Screen Trade by William Goldman, yes. which means I can ask you about this and about your um, your screenwriting life. My screenwriting life. My screenwriting life is uh, is less developed than my book writing life, but it's something that I'm uh, moving into. I think story works um, across all platforms, doesn't it? That's the kind of unifying factor, and especially you know you're as we've said before a cinematic writer that's true but then I'm learning um as well when I write scripts that though I think of myself as a cinematic writer it's still a difference between writing for novels which is very internal and making sure that you're getting the visuals across um in a in a script um but it's a really fun thing to do and like the bookworm that I am I read a lot to um to try and um get 
like a handle on things. So I also read a fair amount of scripts as well. So there's various scripts lying around and various book forms of scripts, um, which are always fun. And I have a load of plays, actually. I have like a like a, a slightly embarrassing number of plays. Um, I couldn't get rid of those things because I love them. And I think it's the kind of thing that you do reread. I keep everything that's signed, everything that I'm quoted on, because I'm vain. <laughs> um, and oh, I think that is that's permitted. Is that, is that allowed? Is that allowed? And um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I kind of tricked myself because I was kind of like I could get rid of them, and then I could just buy more. I think also as well because I can't hold books so much mm. anymore. Um, it's it's become less important for me to keep collecting them this is a total lie because all it's a total lie basically what happens is I, I just listen to them and if I love them then I buy the book anyway because I want it to refer to it and I want it visually to remember I mean, you, you, you know because I get the sense that you feel very strongly about them aesthetically and as loved yeah. objects and sort of decorative objects that tell a story about you as well as the story that they're telling yeah yeah well, they're, well books are, are very um aesthetically pleasing aren't they and they smell nice and they feel nice and they they stay you know they're more than more than their singular parts i'm not sure but then we're standing facing like... Is that one, you talking about books sounds a little bit like, and I mean this with such love and affection because it thrills me, a bit like um, Bridget Jones talking to Colin Firth about Mr Darcy. It's <laughs> really nice. It's just really nice, really lovely. Yeah, but they're my friends. Like, they've always been my friends and it's, it's very difficult to kind of... And now, literally, a lot of them... Are my friends. friends. Yeah. I think authors I find to be so friendly and so welcoming. Crime in particular is such a wonderful kind of supportive kind of industry to be in. And maybe some of the other genres are are less supportive, I don't know. But mostly everybody I come across is just really nice. And because we all have, we all instantly, it's like we all speak the same language. My favourite thing is, I think you had a book launch where um, there was a massive minimum bar spend. And I think the crime writers get through it in about eight minutes. We did it in in eight minutes. I was like, yeah, we're going to have to stay open until midnight. And we'd spent the entire like uh, budget within eight minutes. And uh, it was like, oh, okay, yay, go. Maybe that's why the crime writers, we're just all drunk. (laughs) You can have a Capri Sun. You're all all done. Um, I got these ones out because um, I thought these were all kind of firm favourites. Um, uh, but we've, we have discussed um, oh, Christy. So we have a magical pile. Christy and Georgette Hare. A Christmas Party, that is. That's a title I am desperate to read. And the, it's January right yeah. now, time for recording. Yeah, you've got, you've, something... got, you've got to read. So this was originally called Envious Casca, which is probably not how it's pronounced. Um, it's one of those books where, um, where um, you, you <laughs> like a lot of writers, I learnt words by reading so i don't pronounce them off on the right the, the right way but i think it's a quote from um julius caesar from shakespeare's julius caesar anyway envious casca and but they re-released it as um a christmas party and this is one of those romantic suspenses and it's great it's really 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 joyful and uh yeah i would highly recommend it you've got to read it it's really good really good it's the season to find who done it that's yeah, such a it's great. that's one of those lines isn't it? Like, well think of something better later yeah. but it works but it, it so really works. works it so works <laughs> okay Oh look, see, and recommended by India Knight and Dorothy L. Sayers. I mean, you can't get oh. higher praise than that, can you? So, it's a awesome. delight to me. Um, big, do you want to see um, Big Magic? Big Magic. It's, it's the Big Magic is the book that I probably about Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah, Elizabeth Gilbert. So I actually haven't read any of Elizabeth Gilbert's other work. So I've, I've I haven't read Eat, Pray, Love, which is obviously the big one. Um, but um, I reread Big Magic, um, which is uh, Creative Living Beyond Fear. 
multiple, multiple times. Um, God, I would say at least four times a year. And it is probably my most recommended and most gifted book to other people, largely because a lot of other people I know are writers. And what we do can be really difficult because you're you're putting bits of yourself, like your soul, onto pages and then you're publishing it in a world where everybody has an opinion. Um, and that can be very hard. Um, it's also in a world where you can see everybody else's successes mm. really easily and it's quite difficult not to do kind of comparinitis and stuff like that and I think that she I'm nodding so hard that my head might fall yeah, off I think that she really tackles all of that really brilliantly and reminds you why doing creative things is so important to everybody regardless of what happens to those creative things, whether they're a huge success or nobody else ever gets to see them, that that's not the point. Mm. That, and and um, and that you... I, I just, she just writes beautifully and so cleverly and actually takes on the kind of... She starts by kind of deconstructing the Hemingways. And like you were saying, you know, if it was there, they, they'd all be sat around in a drunk and being bitter and stuff like that. And she, she deconstructs that. And she's like, why do you want to be... Like, because you want to be an artist. Why do you want to be destructive? It's such a... It, it's not necessary. You know, you, you don't have to... To be a great writer, you don't have to be, like, self-destructive. And, and it's just so... So many times, everybody like if they're if they're feeling sad or they're struggling or or um, or, you, you know, and in particular about their work, I always find myself being like, "Read this; it will make you feel better." Huge thanks to Angela. On my life is published by Mulholland Books and out now. It's compulsive, pacey, and chilling. Once you start reading, you won't stop. Follow Angela on social media at the Angela Clark. She's also a compulsive reader, and it's worth it for the book recommendations alone. I'm Daisy Buchanan. Thank you so much for joining me for our frolic in the stacks. You can find me on Twitter at NotRollGirl and on Instagram at the Daisy Bee. Say hello, suggest some guests, and watch out for shelfies. Visit our show page, agcast.com slash booked, for more information about our guests and a list of the books they've talked about. If you have any other queries about the podcast, you can email us at whybooked at gmail.com. Your Booked is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. Please do subscribe, rate us and leave a review. It's great to hear what you think and it helps other people find the podcast. I'll see you next time and I leave you with the words of Fernando Pessoa. Literature is the most agreeable way of ignoring life. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 